You're listening to In Country, a podcast covering Marvel Comics, The Nom. When Captain America throws his mighty shield, all those who chose to oppose his shield must yield. If he's led to a fight and a duel is due, then the red and the white and the blue will come through when Captain America throws his mighty Hello and welcome to episode 45 of In Country, a podcast that is taking a complete look at the Marvel Comics series, The Nom. I am your host, Tom Panneries, and today we are in for a story full of special guest stars from the Marvel Universe. You thought that the heroes sat out the Vietnam War, but you were wrong, because we've got Captain America, the Mighty Thor, and the Invincible Iron Man, and I'm not kidding! And it's not a hoax! Really, I'm going to be taking a look at the nom number 41, which features a cover by John Romita and Ron Friends that shows Cap, Iron Man, and Thor bursting through a map of Southeast Asia under the banner of Guess Who's Been Drafted? Our title uh, is not silhouetted, but has a drop shadow behind it, which isn't the best look. And uh, <laughs> one of the best parts of the cover, by the way, uh, is the box in the upper left-hand corner, you know, where the issue number is and everything. Um, as always, we have the generic GI in the corner box, which, by the way, has a new Marvel logo as we've gone from the italicized Marvel to the Marvel with a big M uh, beneath it and the comics in a comic book-looking style. Anyway, this this uh, generic GI-looking guy has a thought bubble saying, Huh? This was December 26, 1989. It had a February 1990 cover date, and, well, it's going to be a perfect late Christmas present, kids. Back in the Real World was written by Doug Murray. Ween Van Zant was the penciler. Jeff Isherwood, which is misspelled with two Fs in this issue, by the way, inked. Phil Felix lettered and colored. Don Daly was your editor. And Tom DeFalco was your editor-in-chief. We open with a splash page of Cap standing front and center and telling Daniels and Ice, Stand back, men. We'll take care of things now. Thor comments, I, this unjust war, have gone off long enough. And Iron Man says, you said it, Thor. Now let's sweep up these commie dudes. And Ice is just, what in the... But don't fear, dear non-readers, we're not introducing superheroes to end the war. It's June of 1969, and we're in Tai in the Republic of Vietnam, and Ice is rifling through Ader's old comic books while waiting for a chopper to take him home. He thinks about how easy things would be if superheroes actually existed and then gets a little upset because superheroes don't have anything to worry about, unlike Ader, who read this, and now he's dead. Martini interrupts his thoughts, telling him that the chopper will be their suit and sees Ice with Ader's comics and laughs a little. Apparently, Martini has recently gotten his stripes back because he's hit a year and the army has reinstated his own old rank. Ice says that at least the kids will be in good hands, and Martini says spots the Ca- a Captain America comic, saying that he used to love those comics when he was a kid, and wonders what it would be like if they were here. We're then taken to the jungle. It's monsoon season. The rain screens he- 
heavily armed Viet Cong guerrillas as they move closer to a quiet American base. The VC are ready to attack and are congratulating themselves for their ability to ambush the Americans. But as the Kong move down the trail, a mighty hammer strikes the ground and suddenly from out of the storm clouds the sun emerges. The VAC are surprised and then turn to see, turn around to see Molnir flying at them, and with it, the mighty Thor! He makes a quick work of the VC and hands them over to the soldiers at the base. They thank him, although a couple of them don't know who he is and wonders if he's a hippie. As the mighty Thor wings toward the enemy north, behind him in the heart of Saigon, two young men get a bomb ready and are about to set it right by the American embassy when a certain shield flies in, shattering the bomb. Captain America stands proud as several others rush to the aid of the two young men, but he says, Your type never learns, do you? And throws his mighty shield at them, hitting all of their weapons out of their hands in one fell swoop, before he gathers them up and gives them to the local police, while the citizens of the city cheer him on. Then he takes off on his motorcycle. As Captain America guns his motorcycle northward in the skies over Hanoi, some bombers get ready to deploy, but on the ground below, the NVA launches anti-aircraft missiles. The bombers are helpless and look like they're about to be shot down when the missiles are both destroyed by Iron Man's repulsor rays. The pilots of the bombers marvel, pun intended, at Iron Man's speed and wonder what he does when he has to use a latrine and then Iron Man speeds off. Below in the heart of Hanoi, Ho Chi Minh is giving a speech and everyone is agreeing with him. Suddenly there's a rumble and in come our three Avengers. They take Ho Chi Minh and start flying him toward Paris, saying that this time he'd better negotiate properly. Ho begs for mercy and says that he'll, he'll do as they wish and will end the war. Back in the hooch, Martini and Ice laugh over their impromptu fanfic, and Williams walks in and pisses and moans that the reason people like looking at a bunch of guys who can't do no wrong is can't get beat because they're no such thing. Ice tells him to cool his jets because they're just getting a couple of laughs. Williams says something about how it's funny to even imagine a group of guys who would do something for nothing, and then Jones walks in and points out that Williams left his buddy in a minefield. Williams leaves, and Jones wonders if they could get Williams transferred. Martini tells him, unfortunately, that they tried and weren't able to get it happen. But these things do tend to take care of themselves. Jones then changes the subject and describes the John Wayne movie, The Green Berets, going into how ridiculously unrealistic it is, right down to the sun setting in the east at the end of the movie. Jones concludes by saying that it's Kind of scary, because people back in the world are going to believe that junk, and Biggs walks in to tell them that Ice's chopper is on the pad. He takes Ice's bag, and Ice hands takes a moment to look around, saying, Funny, I'm really going to miss this place. They head to the chopper, and Biggs thanks Ice for showing him how to keep his men alive. As the chopper takes off, Martini says, You know, Lieutenant, Ice doesn't think they're heroes anymore. And Biggs says, yeah, Martini, real heroes rarely think of themselves as anything special. Amen to that. I can't remember what the readers thought of this one. I am sure that as we get further down the road, we'll see some letters addressing the issue. I, for one, think it's amusing on some level, poignant on another, and just skirts the line of being trite. Doug Murray's doing two things here. First, he's showing us why the men who wear the uniform are deserving of respect, because the characters that we use to escape are not real and cannot step in and save the day. Not only that, 
He seems to be making the point that perhaps having Cap, Thor, and Iron Man intervene in Vietnam would have been disrespectful, just as the point he's making about John Wayne's The Green Berets being far from realistic is disrespectful. And really, this goes back all the way to the Golden Age when comics portrayed the Second World War. Superman never got directly involved, and why I'm not 100% sure on this... Uh, and Mike Bailey or anybody else, uh, Scott Gardner, any of you guys can correct me. I'm quite certain that one of the reasons for his lack of involvement in the Second World War in in a story was that it would be undermining to troop morale. They're fighting overseas and dying, and here comes this hero to save the day. And yes, there were characters who did fight the war, like Captain America, but many, in many cases, those stories work within their own context. And that was World War II. Vietnam is a different story. Uh, World War II, you had Nazis. They're easy villains. <laughs> I mean, and, and that sounds stupid to say, but they are. They're easy villains to fight because they're Nazis. You know, nobody, there are very, very few people who I who would be listening uh, nobody would be listening to this podcast, I'm sure, but very few people you would run across would be like, "Oh yeah, those Nazis, they were all right." Um, but really, uh, but but that was that war. Uh, here in Vietnam, you have the United States in the middle of another country's civil war, and while there's a stated goal or ideal regarding the stopping the flow of communism, as the war goes on through the 1960s, especially into 1968 and 1969, that's not holding very much water with the American public. A lot of what this series has been about is the life of the everyday grunt and what the, what they endure. And while we know that Ice won't get a hero's welcome home, at least he can get a hero's send-off. And that's where this story winds up being a great story and goes beyond some trite statement about what a real hero is. Ice is a long-time vet. He's often been shown to display qualities depicting his, you know, that are true to his nickname, but he still has been shown to be affected by the men in the war. He's flipping through Ader's comics, and I feel as much as anyone else does, the obvious mountain of regret he has for not being more strict with Ader and allowing him to get killed the way he did. It's a moment of vulnerability that we don't normally see from this character, and when we end on a, we end on a good note with Biggs and Martini to other characters I've liked saying goodbye. I love the Ramita Friends cover on this, by the way. I'm glad that a classic Marvel artist like John Ramita could contribute to this story, and I like what Wayne Van Zandt and Jeff Isherwood were able to do with the action in the interiors. It was obviously meant to be deliberately over the top, and the scenes back in the NOM have the usual grounding in reality and look nice and crisp. My personal copy of the book's a bit damaged. Uh, the covers come off. It looks like the pages are yellowing a bit. But even so, Van Zant and Isherwood's art um, is still awesome. They're, they're effective artists when it comes to the higher quality paper that the book shifted to when it re- went direct market only about 20 issues or so ago. And um, I still agree that with what I've read in interviews uh, with Doug Murray, which is you know going to the direct market is what killed the book. But at least in this format, I will say the book does look gorgeous. And the story, like I said, that story, it was more fun than been having with, with books, but, but did take that nice serious tone and turn and uh, made us uh, really appreciate a character 
who leaves us at the end of the issue. And Ice has a send-off, a proper send-off, and, and Murray does not go to the trope of having the chopper get shot, shot down on the way. I'm going to take a little break, come back, I'll have historical notes, letters, and ads. I have called you all here today at the behest of Don DiManzo to discuss the expansion of our Jersey territory. Our Don has seen an opportunity to move into Atlantic City at an event called AC Boardwalk Con, which will be happening May 14th through the 17th, 2015. Don DiManzo has asked that some of our made men attend this convention and convince the locals to try two true freaks. Joining me, Gene Hendricks, on this trip will be my Quantum Cast cohort, Jeff Fishman. Chris Tyler, the hair metal hero, will be representing the Boston arm of the family, while Scott McGregor will be representing the New York branch. Our capo, Chris Honeywell, will also be there to provide some added... persuasion. Your Don has asked that any of his loyal friends in the area come and pay their respects to this new endeavor. He reminds you that all the information on the event can be found at doacbc.com. That's doacbc.com. Come help us make Atlantic City an offer they can't refuse. Okay, whenever Aiders Comics are shown, I do feel the need to let you know what we're seeing, if I can tell, uh, and if it's accurate. So here we go, and thanks to Mike's Amazing World of Marvel Comics for the information in this section. We've got on page two, Fantastic Four number 60, The Peril and the Power, which has a great Jack Kirby cover of The Thing fighting Doctor Doom. This is from March of 1967. We have toward the bottom of page two a very small, roughly sketched cover that may be Thor, number 151, To Rise Again, from April of 1968. And on the bottom of page three, we have Captain America, number 100, from the same month. June 8, 1969, to get into historical, the actual historical context part of the podcast here. June 8, 1969 is the beginning of a new phase of the war in Vietnam. It's on this day that President Nixon announces what is known as Vietnamization. This is a reduction in the United States forces in South Vietnam, coupled with a promise to train and turn over the war effort to the South Vietnamese Army. At this point, the reduction is 25,000 men, but it is a step in the direction toward getting the United States out of Southeast Asia. From June 18th to June 22nd, the National Convention of the Students for a Democratic Society held in Chicago collapses, and the Weatherman faction seizes control of the SDS National Office. Thereafter, any activity from, from the, run from the National Office or bearing the name of the SDS is Weatherman controlled. The Weathermen, or Weather Underground as they were commonly known, was a radical left-wing arm of the anti-war movement that was more of a revolutionary movement, not afraid of using violence to achieve their ends, which were the disruption and overthrow of the United States government. On June 27, 1969, Life magazine runs a special feature that shows all 246 soldiers killed in the previous week in the war. 
This ends up having a major impact on the American public's feelings about the war, as it puts faces to the numbers that were being reported on a regular basis. If I can find a copy of this, I will track this down and, uh, and post it to the show notes over on popcultureaffidavit.com. Well, not a Vietnam War-related event, finally. June 28, 1969 is, is the the, marks the Stonewall Riots in New York City an incident that gives rise to the modern-day gay rights movement. There are no letters this month. Uh, however, there is a gorgeous pinup by Wayne Van Zant showing two GIs sitting by a bunker while two helicopters fly by. Uh, I'll also throw that up on the show notes for you. But we do have ads. Um, opening my crappy copy here. Uh, we have the same Sky Shark ad from Taito Games, strap button in for full throttle action. The Bionic Commando ad, experience Bionic Power. Eight Eyes featuring featuring the new dual attack mode. As Orin the Falconer, you must save the world from the evil of the Eight Eyes. Those jewels of power are being held by the King's Dukes who plan to rule the world for their own profit. Control Orin and your Falcon's Citrus alone or in the unique simultaneous mode where you are Orin and your friend is Citrus contains a password feature. This is for the Nintendo Entertainment System. And I don't remember this very well. It's from Taxon, <laughs> a company I'd never heard of. There is a bad drawing. There's no art from the game. I can't imagine this um, was very successful. Maybe I should go look up some of these really obscure video games uh, and, and, and take a look at them. Um, New England Comics uh, has a look, uh, has an ad. You know, you can just look at some of the things that you can get. Um, there is a look at Batman number 442, Return of Robin. Um, this uh, this is a big issue. This is the final part of A Lonely Place of Dying. This is the, the story that line that introduced Tim Drake. Um, Batman movie home video meaning uh, that the Batman movie was going to come out on VHS this was a big deal for a lot of people Batman was one of those first movies to get such a huge huge response that people would buy it on, on home video Top Gun was another one there were a couple here and there over the years but but Batman I remember it was almost like that breakthrough one and then eventually everything was coming out on home video in the late 1980s and early 1990s um yeah, just just a bunch of books that are available. You can call in order for a catalog. Oh, one of those one nine hundred games that you could call the nine hundred number play role playing game. This one called Castle Mammon. Enter the ghoulish Castle Mammon, a real world of fantasy gaming you control by via your own touch tone phone. Adventure comes to life as you snake through a maze of eerie flesh eater, dodge the sizzle of fireballs hurling toward you, and finally reach the goal hidden deep in the demon prince's pit pitch dark underground dungeon you can win gold genuine gold and heated monthly competitions call if you dare this um this is just the golden age of the 1900 number isn't it pre-internet although maybe there were some bbs's kicking about by now but pre-internet and pre-world of warcraft and second life and all those things that have come out over the last you know decade or two uh for those of you who, who enjoy playing those type of games uh, we have a hodgepodge ad. Uh, most of them are about comic collectors. There's this comic world from Winnipeg, and it's so hard to see what they're actually advertising the prices are. Uh, and uh, you'd have to get a magnifying glass. 
you can um, order the Comics Buyer's Guide, Top Gun GI Tags, Skull Dice, so people buying used Sega cartridges, um, the Undisputed World Leaders in Marvel Back Issues, Jerry Ross and Robert Crestall present the complete Marvel collection at special discount prices uh, out of Montreal, Quebec, Canada. And they have a ton of Marvels that are all listed here on this page. Probably can order a catalog for them. Bullpen bulletins this time around. Something about... Oh, they're going to be airing more uh, Hulk TV movies. So in the in the bullpen bulletin, they're they're talking about how they're they're moving their dating on the covers from four months in advance to one month in advance, and this explains why we're dating issues mid December and mid November. It's waking uh, their way of of catching up with reality. Uh, Peter David wrote a book. Marvel Age is going to be sold on newsstands instead, as well as direct only. American Comics is having a blowout, and you can buy what's in the fifty cent boxes back in nineteen eighty nine in American Comics. Uh, G.I. Joe, second printings of number two, six, eight, eleven, and twelve. Astro Boy, first printing number one. Most of Millennium, um, a bunch of issues of the Nom, the New Mutants, the Baxter series, two, three, six of the Teen Titans, a bunch of Action Comic Weekly books, Dollar Bins have Batman four forty two, but a limit of one. Uh, Five Dollar Bins, you have Batman four thirty six, um, the Predator comic, the Killing Joke is going for four dollars. Um. The She-Hulk number one's going for $3. And there's a big Batman closeout. Batman 1990 calendar. Batman 1989 movie is on sale for 1995. A box of movie cards are um, on sale for $12.95. You can buy a limited button set for $14.95. Batman, Robin, Penguin, PVC, $1.95 each. I guess they had leftover merchandise. There is an ad um, right next to the Wayne Van Zant uh, Wayne Van Zant pinup at the end. There, twenty five years ago, we turned the comics world upside down. The stories started it all. Marvel Masterworks now available in hardcover collectors editions, and the article shows a library, very sophisticated looking library, with stacks of masterworks on a, on a table and Spidey. Hanging upside down, a live action shot of Spidey hanging upside down, reading, uh, reading a Spider Man book, and it looks like they have on display the Incredible Hulk, the Avengers, the Amazing Spider Man, and what looks like the Marvel masterworks of the all new, all different X Men, the which began with uh, Giant Size X Men number one. Our subscription ad features the Hulk, Incredible Savings, and on the inside back cover we have Have a Monster of a Good Time, Enter the Dungeon Game from TSR, and on the back we have Acclaim Presents Double Dragon 2, The Revenge, a martial arts explosion. My friend Tom was huge on Double Dragon, I was not the biggest fan. Um, but you know, we can't all be fans of everything, but, uh, that eventually got made into a movie in the nineties starring Scott Wolf and Alyssa Milano. 
was Double Dragon, I think. And uh, that first, you know, there are people who have really, really fond memories of those first wave of video game movie adaptations, but a lot of them were pretty horrible. Kind of lucky that we never did get like a Legend of Zelda movie or something like that, because that probably would have been pretty bad. Uh, not that the Resident Evil series of movies has been particularly great, but um, but at least the some of the video game movies have been slightly better. But that is it for me. This marks the end of another set of NOM issues. I've actually gone quite a bit uh, from from where we started since the All Quiet on the Western Front episode. So next time around, um, I'm going to have a, a special uh, for you guys. Uh, and we will pick up in about two or three episodes with uh, our regular coverage of the NOM. So until then, I'll see you in two weeks. And thanks for listening and take care. Cross the rainbow You have been listening to In Country, a podcast that covers Marvel Comics, The Nom. The Nom and all of the comics associated with it are copyright Marvel Comics, and since this podcast is intended for entertainment purposes and I make no money off of it, no infringement is intended. Images, clips, and show notes can be found at Pop Culture Affidavit, which is located at popcultureaffidavit.com. Feedback can be sent by email to popcultureaffidavit at gmail.com. In Country also has a Facebook page, and you can like the podcast at facebook.com slash incountrypodcast. This podcast is a proud member of the Two True Freaks Network of Podcasts, which is a division of the Demanza Corps of Milan, Italy. You can download this podcast and many other great podcasts at twotruefreaks.com. Want to support this and the other Two True Freaks podcasts? Go to twotruefreaks.com and click the Amazon.com link. It costs you no extra money, but really helps us all out. Thank you for listening, and come back in two weeks for the next chapter in the saga of The Nom.